Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations proudly present Dime Store Radio Theater! And now that it is officially December, Dime Store Radio Theater is flipping over to holiday programming to help keep you in the spirit all month long. Dime Store Radio Theater goes to the movies this year with feature presentations each week offering romance, adventure, and seasonal tidings that will make you feel like you've been under the mistletoe all night long. This time of year is a terrifying and lonely torment on our minds and souls. So let Dime Store Radio Theater be the guiding light this holiday with simple distractions to help pass the time. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me... It's a Wonderful Life! By the Lux Radio Theater. Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater. Starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore in It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we bring you one of the season's most inspiring hits, a Liberty Films production that's been nominated for the highest screen award. Yes, it's a wonderful life. And we present it now with its original fine stars, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy in the role which won him a nomination for the best performance of the year. Also in our cast is starred that fine comedian, Victor Moore. It's a Wonderful Life is the drama of a typical American. Might be you, it might be me. He dreams of glory, he lives in hope, he loves and doubts, uh, and only providence puts a final value on his service to humanity. Our story starts before the war, when life was normal. Lux Radio Theater is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. During the holiday season, we like to give the staff here in the Lava Lamp Lounge some much-needed time off. And with only 12 shopping days left until the big day later this month, we would like to offer this simple reminder in lieu of the usual nonsense we often provide. Shop local. Your chosen family is more important than anything else. Don't scrimp on the sides, pies, or extra LPs, and let Sheena's Jungle Room be your guide through the darkest days to something we can all enjoy in the following year. From all of us here at Dime Store Radio Theater, Sappy Hollandaise. And now, we return you to Lux Radio Theater, here on Dime Store Radio Theater. It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary Hatch, and Victor Moore as Clarence. This is the story of George Bailey, citizen of Bedford Falls, New York. George Bailey, who more than anything under the sun, wanted to see the world. The wonderful, exciting world that lay somewhere beyond the limits of his hometown. Oddly enough, this story does not begin in Bedford Falls. In fact, it doesn't begin anywhere in the world. It begins in heaven where the superintendent of angels has just 
summoned an apprentice angel named Clarence. Oh, I... I'm really going down to Earth, sir? Oh, how splendid. Yes. There's a very discouraged man down there, Clarence. George Bailey. At exactly 10.45 p.m., Earth time, he'll be thinking seriously of ending his life. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Now, I want you to stop him if you can. Now, sit down, sit down. I'll give you Bailey's case history. Uh, sir, if... Uh... If I should accomplish my mission, may I perhaps get my wings? I've been waiting over 200 years now, and, well, people are beginning to talk. Clarence, what's that book? The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, sir. I was reading it when you sent for me. Oh, fine book. Excellent. Well, you do a good job on George Bailey, and we'll see about your wings. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, listen. When George Bailey was a boy, two events occurred that you should keep in mind. One was when his young brother, Harry, fell through the ice and almost drowned. George saved him. Brother fell through the ice. George saved him. Ever since, George has had a bad ear. All that icy water, uh, you understand. Yeah, bad ear, yes, sir. The other event came a few months later. George used to work after school in Mr. Gower's drugstore. One day, Mr. Gower's only son died of influenza. It was a terrible blow, and poor Mr. Gower tried to lose his grief in whiskey. Where you been, George? Mrs. Blaine's called twice. What happened to her prescription? You lost it, didn't you? No, Mr. Gower. Here it is. Are you good for nothing? Don't you know that Blaine girl's very sick? Mr. Gower, my ear. You're hurting my sore I'll ear. teach you to loaf, you lazy brat. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. Shut up. Oh, I know you feel bad, but look, Mr. Gower, look. This bottle, you used this bottle to make up the capsules. It's poison. Poison? Don't hurt my sore again, Mr. Poison. Gower. Oh, George. That's what you deliver, Mr. Gower. All I wanted was to make sure. George, George. Well, Clarence, that was George Bailey as a boy. When he grew up, he wanted to go to college, but there just wasn't the money. So he worked four years in the Building and Loan Association. Building and Loan Association? Oh, I forgot to tell you. George's father was in the building and loan business. He and George's uncle, Billy. High ideals and low bank account. Anyway, George worked for his father and saved enough to see him through the university. That summer, though, he was going to Europe. Got a job on a cattle boat. Do a little traveling before cut. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's hard to realize that my last night in the Bailey boarding house. We're sure going to miss you, George. Oh, I'm going to miss you too, Pop. Hey, what's the matter? You look tired. Oh, I had another tussle with old Henry Potter today. Well, I thought when you put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up. Well, so did I. I just can't understand a man like Mr. Potter. He can't begin to spend all the money I he has. I guess Potter owns about everything he wants in Bedford Falls, except our building and loan. That's why he hates us. Hey, George, can I borrow your tuxedo studs? Yeah, help yourself, Harry. Well, where are they? In your suitcase? I'm not taking a tuxedo on a cattle boat, you know. Say, where'd you get that suitcase anyway? Oh, Mr. Gower, going away present. And one of these days, you're going to see that bag all covered with travel labels. Italy and Baghdad, Samarkand. Could have a pretty full summer, eh? I'm going to have a pretty full life. Hey, why don't you come to the dance tonight? Why, I'd be bored to death. Well, you couldn't want a better death. Lots of pretty girls. Hey, hey, I got to hurry. I wish we could send Harry to college with you, George. Oh, we've got that all figured out now, Pop. He'll take over my job at the building and loan and work four years like I did, and then he'll go. Well, he's pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. <laughs> Maybe you were born older, George. Huh? George, 
When you get out of college, I don't suppose you'd come back to the building and loan. Oh, no, no, Pop, I, 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 I just couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I, I, oh, I I'm sorry, Pop. Now I, I didn't mean that, but it's just this business of nickels and dimes. I'd go crazy. I, I want to do something big, something important. In a small way, we are doing something important, George. In that shabby little office, we help people figure out how they can own their own homes. I know, I know, Pop. I, I just wish I felt that I... I but I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. I... <laughs> You're right, boy. You get yourself an education, then get out of here. Oh, Pop, you... Pop, you want a shock? I think you're a pretty great guy. Well, thanks, George. I'm glad to hear it. Look, um, why don't you go on over to Harry's dance? You'd have a good time. Well, I don't know. Maybe it will drop in. Yeah, maybe it will at that. So, George Bailey went to a dance. Is that important, Joseph? Why, it was at the dance he met Mary Hatch. Oh. And three hours later, he was walking her home. George and Mary were feeling pretty good, Clarence. As a matter of fact, wonderful. Buffalo gal, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gal, can't you come out tonight? And dance by the light of the moon. Oh, hot dog. Oh, boy, just like an organ. At least. Hey, you know, you know something? If it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town. Well, why don't you say it? Well, I don't know. Maybe I will. Hey, how old are you anyway? Eighteen. Eighteen? Too young or too old? No, no, no. It's just right. It sort of fits you. Hey, hey look where we are. Hmm? Oh, the old Granville house. Yeah, I got to throw a rock. Oh, no, don't. I, I love that old house. Well, no, don't you know about deserted houses? You, you make a wish and then throw a rock. George, but it was such a lovely old place. I wish I lived there. In there? I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. Watch this. Here we go. How about it, huh? Pretty good shot, huh? Broke a window, huh? <laughs> What'd you wish, George? Oh, I don't know. Not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. And then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields and skyscrapers 100 stories high and bridges a mile long. And then I'm going to... Hey, hey, Mary. What is it you want? What do you want, huh? You want the moon? All you got to do is just say the word now. Okay, the moon, I'll take it. Then what? Then what? Well, well, then you could swallow it, and, and it'd dissolve like an aspirin, you know? And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and the ends of your hair, and the... the uh, you, you think I'm talking too much? Yes, why don't you kiss her instead of talking to her to How's that? Uh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Why? Well, hey. hey, just a minute, mister. Hey, you come back here. I'll show you some kissing George, if you want to... George! Hey, Uncle Billy, look here. I'm going to kiss Mary. Watch. George, get in the car quick. Your father's had a stroke. What? what? George, had... get in. Hurry. Well, George's father died that night, Clarence. So, of course, George couldn't go to Europe. But that fall, just as he was ready to leave for college, the directors of the building alone had a meeting. They were going to appoint a successor to Mr. Bailey. What was that you said, Mr. Potter? I said as long as Peter Bailey's dead, let's dissolve the building and loan. We don't need it. Now, wait a minute. Oh, you wait a minute. 
Peter Bailey was not a businessman. Ideals without common sense can ruin a town. What do we get? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. Hold on, Mr. Potter. I meant no disrespect, George, but... Oh, wait a minute, now. Why my father ever started this cheap penny-ante building alone, I'll never know. But just remember this, Mr. Potter, this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and the paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, Mr. Potter, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book, George. I'm talking about the building and loan. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on that's galling. That's what you're talking about. Well, this town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can borrow a few dollars without crawling to you. Now, come on, Uncle Billy. What happened, George? Yeah, all we heard was a lot of yelling. Boy, oh boy, you should have heard, George. Yeah, they're in there voting us out of business. Well, who cares? I can get another job. I'm only 41. 45. Will you get out of here, George? You missed your boat trip. Do you want to miss college, too? George, we've just voted Potter down. We're still in business. Whoopee! We're still in business. We're still in business. But there's one condition, George. They've appointed you to take your father's place. Appoint me? But I'm going to college. Look, this is my last chance. Uncle Billy's your man. Uh, George, you've got to take it. They'll vote with Potter otherwise. They said so. They I know George Bailey didn't go to college That's right, Terrence He gave his, his college money to Harry Harry went instead But what happened to that good-looking girl, you know, Mary? Old George saw her now and then Not very often, though, because Mary went away to school, too Anyway, George waited four years more for Harry to come back and take over the building and loan he could still see the world. He planned to work in the oil fields, Venezuela. Except when Harry came home, he wasn't alone. There was a girl with him, his wife. George? Yeah, I'm out here on the porch, Mother. I just thought I'd get some air. Well, how, how do you like your new sister-in-law? Oh, she's swell. Looks like she can keep Harry on his toes. Yeah, yeah, I keep him out of Bedford Falls anyway. What do you mean? Well, Ruth's father, she, he's got a wonderful job for Harry up in Buffalo. Buffalo? Well, that means you... Yeah. You can't... Yeah. George, uh, did you know Mary Hatch is back from school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice girl, Mary. Mm-hmm. Oh, stop grunting. Mm-hmm. Give me one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary. Well, Sam Wainwright. Sam's crazy about Mary. Well, she's not crazy about him. Well, now, how do you know that? Did she discuss it with you? How do you... Besides, Sam's away in New York. Oh, and all's fair in love and war. Uh-huh, I see. Okay, Mother, I think I'll go out and find that girl and do a little passionate necking. Oh, George. Goodbye, Miss Bailey. By the way, do you want any books at the library? Library? George! George, you go and see Mary. Do you hear? George, is that you out there? Oh, oh hello, Mary. Well, are you coming in? I just happened to be passing by here. Oh, I thought you were picketing. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned. She said you were coming over. My mother just phoned. What does she mean, Carla? I just happened to be passing by, that's all. I didn't... Well... Well, all right, I'll come in for a minute, but I, I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. You, you feel I can't go out for a walk nowadays without you. When did you, you get back? Tuesday. Mm. Where'd you get that dress? Do you like it? It's all right. 
Well, no point standing here on the porch. Come on in. I, I still can't understand it. I didn't tell anybody I was coming here, you know. Would you rather leave? Well, no, I don't want to be rude. <laughs> Sit down for a while. It's nice about your brother and Ruth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a peach. Oh, just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about, hmm? No, no. Marriage is all right for a lot of people. It's all right for Harry and... Sam Wainwright, and you, and... For Sam? Harry? It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? Me? I, not a thing. Not a thing. I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. You just tell him to go right back home. Sam said he'd call you tonight from New York, didn't he? I guess so. How about some music? Uh, you know, your mother needs... Uh, you know, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? Uh, I don't know. You're supposed to be the one with all the answers. You tell me. Oh, why don't you go home? I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. Okay, the way you're shouting, you'd think that... You'd think what? All right, I'll get it. George, on your way out, would you mind turning off the phonograph? I'd be very happy to. I've gone crazy, song. Hello? Sam? Mary, gee, it's good to hear your voice. How are you, Sam? I forgot my hat. Hee-haw. What? Oh, I, I was just talking to an old friend of yours, George Bailey. Old Mossback George? Old Mossback George. Well, put him on. I'll talk to him, too. Oh, wait a second. George. He doesn't want to speak to George. He does so. He asked for him. Why'd you call me? Because if you are, I, I'm in a hurry. I got... Sam wants to talk to you. Oh. Oh. Hiya, Sam. Hey, fine pal you are, trying to steal my girl. Now, what do you mean? Nobody's trying to steal anybody's girl. Here, Mary, take the... No, no, here. no. Wait, wait, George. I want to speak to you both. Tell Mary to get in the extension upstairs. He says for you to get on the extension upstairs. I can't. Mother's on the extension. <laughs> I am not. We, we can both hear, George. Just put your head a little closer. What? Yeah, what? That's, that's better. Uh, we're, we're listening, Sam. Well, I have a big deal coming up that's going to make us all rich. George, you remember that time you told me about making plastics out of soybeans? Soybeans, yeah, yeah, soybeans, yeah. Well, yeah, my yeah. father's checked into it, George, see, and now he's going to put up a factory. How do you like that? A factory, huh? And yeah. here's the point, George. I may have a job for you unless you're still married to that broken-down building and loan. Oh, Mary? Uh, I'm here. You tell that guy I'm giving him a chance of a lifetime, do you hear? He says it's the chance of a lifetime. And give me that phone. Here's George again, Sam. George. Now, you listen to me, Mary. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any job, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. Do you understand that? I want to do what I want to do, and, and you're not going to trick me. And you're... Mary. George. Mary. Oh, Mary, darling, I, I love you, Mary. So George Bailey and Mary Hatch were... Yes, George and Mary were married. Mm. And they started off on their honeymoon in Ernie Bishop's taxi cab. Hey, where are you two going on this here now, honeymoon? We're going to shoot the works, Ernie. A whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotel, the oldest champagne, the hottest music, and the prettiest wife. <laughs> so you're finally getting out of Bedford Falls, huh? Then what? Then what, honey? After that, who cares? That does it. Hey, you know, Mrs. Bailey, I haven't kissed you. Hey, since George, I... there's something funny going on over there. Look, look over there at the bank. It looks huh? like a run. All right. Pull over a minute, will you, Ernie? George, let's not stop. Please, let's go straight to the no, station. No, wait a minute. Well, uh, I'd better see what it is. I'll be right back. George, please. George!
few moments, we'll return with the second act of It's a Wonderful Life, starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Reasoned bleedings from everyone here at Dime Store Radio Theater and Sheena's Jungle Room. We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Two of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary, and Victor Moore as Clarence. Well, we're back in heaven again, where the superintendent of angels is reviewing the case history of a mortal named George Bailey. Clarence, the apprentice angel, is very eager to depart on his mission to the earth. George Bailey. Oh, he's certainly in desperate trouble, Joseph. I'll go to him at once. Now, you sit down, Clarence. Sit down. We're nowhere near the point where George Bailey's thinking of taking his life. We're not? Now, uh, where were we? Uh, Oh, yes, yes. George and Mary had just started out on their honeymoon when they ran smack into the financial panic of 1932. In the waiting room of the building and loan, a hundred frantic people were clamoring for their safe. Hey, what's going on, Uncle Billy? What's happened? All those people out there. This is a pickle, George. All I know is the bank called our loan an hour ago. I had to hand over all our cash. Holy mackerel. Whole town's gone crazy. Bank's in the same spot we are. Our charter, too. What about our charter? Our charter says we have to stay open until 6 p.m. The state can take away our license if we don't. How can we stay open until 6 without any money? George, where are you going? Out to talk to those people. Come on. Now, please. How about our money, George? Where's our money? Now, come on, now, please. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, listen to me. Now, you're thinking of this place all wrong. Your money's not here. Well, wait a minute. Now, let me tell you. Let me tell you, your money's in people's houses, in the Kennedy house, in the McLaren house, and in your house, and a hundred others. Now, what are you going to do? Foreclose on them? I got $240 in shares. Now, let me have it. All right. All right, Charlie. Now... You'll get your money in 60 days. 60 days? Well, now, look, that's what you, that's what you agreed on when you bought your shares. I got my money! Old man Potter's taking over the bank. He'll pay you 50 cents on every dollar. Then let's take our shares to Potter. Half is better than nothing. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Please, folks, I beg of you not to do this. If Potter gets hold of your shares, he'll be owning this building and loan. And he's got the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us because he wants to keep you living in his shacks and paying the kind of rent he decides to charge. Now, we can get through this thing all right, but we've got to stick together. We've got to have faith in each other. My husband's out of work. We need money. I've got doctor bills to pay. I can't feed my kids on faith. Well, that's what you need. You still got some money? Hey, Mary. Here it is, George. You told me to hold on to it. Would have made a nice honeymoon. Bought furniture, too. Hey, now, wait a minute, folks. Listen, I've got $2,000. All right, Charlie, how much do you need? $240. No, Charlie, now listen, just enough to tide you over. I said $240. Okay, okay. Uncle Billy, give Charlie $240. All right, Ed, now, how much just to get by on? Oh, $20, I suppose. Oh, you're talking. Now, you, Mrs. Thompson, how about you? $20 will do me. Good, good. $20, Uncle Billy. Pay it back when you can now. Pay it back when you can. All right, all right. Who's next? Look at the clock. Look. Five seconds, four seconds, three, two, one. Six o'clock, we made it. Lock that door, Eustace, quick. 
boy, we're still in business, Uncle Billy. We've even got two bucks left. Hmm? George, there's a call for you. Okay, and then call my wife, will you? She's probably over at Mother's. Mrs. Bailey's on the line. No, I don't want Miss Bailey. I want my wife, Mrs. Bailey. Miss Bailey, that, that's my wife. That's my, uh, give me the phone, will you? Hey, Mary, Ma- listen, Mary, I'm sorry. I, I, hmm? Come home. Well, what home? Well, 323 Sycamore. Well, whose home is that? What? Well, Mary, how can I... Well, well sure, all right, sure, I'll, I'll be there. Clarence, guess what 323 Sycamore was? His mother-in-law's house, huh? Oh, no. Number 323 Sycamore was the old Granville house, the one George threw rocks at and made wishes. Yes, sir, that's where they spent their honeymoon. That's where they started housekeeping. They were still living there two years later when old man Potter asked George to stop over at his office. Sit down, George, sit down, Lou. Uh, have a cigar? Well, thank you, sir. Uh, George, you're a young man, married, making, say, $40 a week at the building and lawn. Forty-five. Forty-five. Now, if you were some ordinary yokel, I'd say you were doing fine. But George Bailey is intelligent, ambitious. He hates the building and lawn almost as much as I do. He's been dying to get out of town ever since he was born, but he's trapped. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters... Do I paint a correct picture, George, or do I exaggerate? Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point is that you're the only man in town who has licked me. George, I want to hire you. Manage my affairs. I'll start you off at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? Are you sure you're talking to me? I'm George Bailey. Don't you remember me? The building and loan, remember? Yes, George Bailey, whose ship has just come in, providing he has sense enough to climb aboard. Well, but but what about the building and loan? Confound it, man. I'm offering you a three-year contract at $20,000 a year. Is it a deal or isn't it? No, no. The answer's no doggone it. If you offered me a million dollars to stay around this town and play stooge to you, the answer'd still be no. Now, let me alone. Don't bother me. George, what did Mr. Potter want? Oh, it's nothing. He just talked, talked. It's nothing. Oh, gee. Mary Hatch. Mary, why in the world did you ever marry a guy like me, anyway? <laughs> to keep from being an old maid. I was going to see the world. I was going to build things. I was going to give you the moon. What have I given you? What have I given you? Not even a new dress, not for months. Gee whiz, I feel awful. So do I. Mornings especially. I could have married Sam Wainwright, anybody else in town. I didn't want to marry anybody else. I want my baby to look like you. You didn't even have a honeymoon, and I promised you that you, 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 you what? My baby. Your, your baby. Hey, Mary... Mary, you mean you're on the nest? Well, Mary had a baby, Clarence. A boy. You don't say. Then she had another. A girl. Well, what do you know? Night after night, George had come home late from the office. Things weren't good with the building and loan. Potter was really bearing down on him. Then came the war. Mary had another baby by then. Oh. But she still had time to help out in USO. Uncle Billy sold war bonds. And George's brother Harry became a real hero. Shot down 15 planes. But George, what about George? Well, George was 4F, his bad ear. He was an air raid warden. On VE Day, he wept and prayed. 
On VJ Day, he wept and prayed again. We're, uh, we're getting pretty close to today, aren't we, sir? Yes, Clarence. You now know almost everything you have to know about George Bailey, except what happened that finds him down there at this moment wanting to die. Well, sir, well... Well, today's the day before Christmas, uh, Earth time. George is pretty excited. Hey, Tilly! Useless! Hey, look at the newspaper. Commander Harry Bailey, decorated by the president. That's my kid brother. The Congressional Medal of Honor. Gosh, George, gosh. What do you think about the 15 Jap planes? And the last one he got was just about to dive into a transport loaded with soldiers. You know what that means? He saved lives, hundreds of lives. Gee, where's Uncle Billy? Huh? We're going to the bank, George. He's oh. depositing that $8,000. Good, good, good. Go. Who's that in his office, sir? It's that man again, the bank examiner. Uh-oh, oh, yeah. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Carter. Hey, uh, Telly, get the books from Mr. Carter, will you? You know, that's my brother's picture there, Mr. Carter. He shot down 15 planes, and one of them was just about... Well, well, Mr. Henry F. Potter come to the bank to deposit some more loot, eh? Sure, you old fool. How do you like the news in the paper, Mr. Potter? Just can't keep those Bailey boys down now, can you? Oh, let me see that newspaper. Here, sorry I can't chat, you old thief. Gotta make a deposit. Uh, here you are, Horace. Deposit slip, bank book, and a very Merry Christmas to you. You too, Mr. Bailey. Say, you've forgotten something, haven't you? Horace, I've forgotten things all my life. Get a wiggle on, boy. But, Mr. Bailey, where's the money? Uh, wh what's that? You want to make a deposit? What well, certainly I want. Well, it's customary to bring the money with you. It's gone. Where'd I put it? Where'd I put that money? A terrible thing, Clarence. Terrible. Uncle Billy couldn't find the money because the envelope with the $8,000 was folded up in that newspaper he gave to old man Potter. I just don't know what happened to it, George. I just don't know. $8,000. Uncle Billy, the bank examiner's here, and it's not our money. It belongs to the depositor. George, what, what are we going to do? We've traced every step I took. We can't stand here in the street. Are you sure you didn't put that envelope in your coat pocket? I, I, I think so. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, I'm no good to you, George. I'm no good. Now listen to me. Now listen to me. Think. Think, will you? Now try and think. I... I can't think anymore. I, I can't. Where's that money, you silly old fool? You know what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Now get out of my way. I'm going home. George, dear, what's wrong? You haven't said a word since you came home. Oh, well, that banging on that piano, does she have to just keep playing that same piece over and over and over and over again? I have to talk to Daddy? What is it, dear? Another hectic day. Yeah. Yeah, another red-letter day for the Dad, baby. Dad, Murphy's got a brand-new car. You should see it. What's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? I'm sorry, Dad. I only... Run upstairs, Petey. See if Zuzu's all right. Okay, Mom. Now, what do you mean? What to see if Zuzu's all right? What do you mean? Oh, she caught a little cold coming home from school. She didn't button up her coat. Well, what is it? What is it? What do you mean, just a cold? George, the doctor said it was nothing serious. The doctor? Was the doctor here? Well, I thought he'd better look at her. It's this old drafty house. It's no wonder we don't all have pneumonia. We might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's happened? Everything's happened. You call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids? Daddy, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know how you spell. You ask your mother. Where are you going? Upstairs to see Zuzu. Hello? Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. Who's that? Zuzu's school teacher. What? Oh, yes, the doctor says she'll be fine tomorrow. Here, give me that phone. George, please. Mrs. Welch? 
Well, this is Mr. Bailey. Say, what kind of a teacher are you anyway? What do you mean sending Zuzu home like that half naked? Do you realize you probably end up with pneumonia just because of your stupidity? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best dressed kids in town, but at least... Hello? Hello? Janie, will you stop playing that lousy piano? I'll cut it. I'll stop it. <laughs> George, for heaven's sake, what's wrong with you? I'm sorry. I'm... Janie, I'm sorry, Mary. I, I, I just got to get out of here. That's it, George. You're short $8,000 in your account, eh? Oh, please, Mr. Potter, I'll, I'll pay any sort of a bonus if you still want the building and loan. I, you say it I'll was let... lost. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I haven't done that yet. Harry's home. Oh, I come tomorrow. to me. What about your good friend Sam Wainwright? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. What kind of security would I have, George? What collateral? Yes, sir, I have some life insurance here. $15,000 policy. Hmm? What's your equity in it? $500. And you want $8,000? You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. Well, what are you but a warped, frustrated young man crawling on your hands and knees for help? Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so well? Ask them for help. I'll do anything, Mr. Potter, please. Please help me, Miss. My wife and kids... I'm calling the district attorney. $500. You know something, George? You're worth more dead than you are alive. Now get out of here. Get out. All the time, Potter had the $8,000 in his desk drawer. It's still there, Terrence. But where is George, sir? Where? Well, he went over to Martini's Cafe. He's had a couple of drinks, Clarence. He's just standing there, sort of in a day. Oh, God. Oh, God. Dear Father in heaven, I... I'm, I'm not a praying man, but if... If you're up there... And, and you can hear me. Please show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I... Show me the way to God. Mr. Bailey, you all right? Don't drink anymore, Mr. Bailey. Please, you don't feel good. Bailey? Did you say Bailey? Which Bailey? This gentleman is Mr. Bailey. George Bailey. George Bailey, huh? And the next time you talk to my wife like that, she'll get worse. It isn't enough. She slaves teaching your stupid kids how to read and write. You got to ball You get out of here, Mr. Welch. You hit my best friend. Get out. All right, I'm Mr. Bailey, you, you okay? Who's that? Mr. Welch, but don't worry. He don't come in this place no more. I'll get something for your face. It's bleeding. I'm all right. Please don't go away, Mr. Alone. Bailey. Please don't go away. Well, George left Martini's Cafe five minutes ago, Clarence. He's at the river now, on the bridge, looking at the water. Are you ready, Clarence? All ready, sir. Very well. Save George Bailey's life, and you'll get your wings. My wings. Oh, thank you, Joseph. George! George Bailey! Get away from that bridge! You hear me? George! George! Just a moment, we'll bring you Act Three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. The popular theory about beautiful blondes is that they're content to be merely decorative. Our lovely guest tonight, Miss Susan Blanchard, completely disproves that idea. Besides being a hard-working fox starlet, Susan, I understand you're a wonderful cook. I really love housekeeping, Mr. Keeley. 
But most of all, I enjoy the training I get at the studio. It's work, but it's fun, too. You're an Easterner, aren't you, Susan? Yes, a native New Yorker. I thought so. It was the Broadway theater that inspired me to think of show business as a career. Well, that's interesting. I used to save my allowance and go to every play I could. One of my favorite actresses was Jane Wyatt. Uh-huh. Imagine, Mr. Keeley, what a thrill it was for me to meet her right here in Hollywood. Jane Wyatt's latest picture, Boomerang, was made in the East, I understand. Mm-hmm, yes. But she and Dana Andrews, who stars in Boomerang with her, were in Hollywood to see a studio showing of the picture. Oh, I see. Jane Wyatt is my ideal of a stage and screen star. So talented and so lovely to look at. Just as lovely in real life, too. She is indeed. Thank you, Miss Susan Blanchard. was the night before Sheena's and all through the jungle room. All the DJs were stirring, making their cocktails go kaboom. The LP bags were hung by the chimney with care in the hopes that Mr. Fab soon would be there. The crew were all lit, decked out in their best threads, with a band keeping beat on those boss new drumheads. Shangri-La's got a kooky sweater and Barno's sporting a hat while Jan Turkenberg has the dance moves down pat. When out on the turntables, Chris O. spun a platter. We all sprung to our feet and danced like mad hatters. Then in through the door with a significant flash, flew in Don Bowles with a huge LP stash. Rich in Washington added another hour to his show with a holiday double feature programmed by Don O. When, what to our Hepcat eyeballs should appear? But an overdressed Mr. Fab, with all the other DJs, never fear. On the dance floor, he was so lively and quick, as we all grooved and frugged to surf songs so slick. It seemed like the tunes all had obscure fame, yet every single one of us knew them all by name. Everybody brought food, there were plenty of fixins, and when it came to drinks, we were all nearly six in to the top of the porch, and all through the halls. Our DJs were always heard by one and all. Alex Kish and Julie, with Mike Rogers himself. I see Space Brother flipping through records on that shelf. Jamie Jazz and Catherine Sage, both shaking their heads at the terrible pun that I, for some reason, just said. Hysterica just got here, but they seem to fit right in. And we're laughing at the choices by DJ Kratoven. Georgie Girl is the peak of fashion and style. And Derek showed up with another record pile. John Nelson and Mark Time are both learning to twerk, while Miss May and Flannery chat in the kitchen and lurk. Sarcophagi and Daryl both like to pose, while Speedo and John P. trade DJ tips like old pros. DJ Babs and M.H. Lee both began to whistle. And you know we all got the It's All Night epistle. We heard Mr. Fab exclaim, quite loud and quite bright. This year we danced to Sheena's all day and all night. everyone here in the Mid Valley, those stationed in the Lava Lamp Lounge itself, the production crew here at Dime Store Radio Theatre and Mid Valley Mutations, 
and all the volunteers at Sheena's Jungle Room. We wish you a sappy holidays and plenty of new music throughout the coming year. Now, time to get my freak on. Latest pages. Now, back to our producer, William Keeley. Act three of It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Numb with despair, convinced, as Mr. Potter said, that he's worth more dead than alive, George Bailey stands on a bridge, staring at the dark and frigid waters below. Suddenly, there's a splash. No, that's not George. It's Clarence, the apprentice angel. And there goes George in after him. Hmm. It's a few minutes later now, and in the bridgekeeper shack, George and Clarence are drying off. You both sure you're all right? You, you want a doctor? No, I'm all right. Oh, I'm fine. This underwear, I didn't have time to get anything more stylish. My wife gave me this on my last birthday. I... Passed away in a... You... You what, mister? Hmm. I see Tom Sawyer is drying out, too. Who? My book. I left in such a hurry, I brought Tom Sawyer with me. Hey, how'd you happen to fall in? Oh, I jumped in. I jumped in to save you. Jumped in to save me? Well, I... I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Hey, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. <laughs> where do you come from? Heaven. Oh, that's very funny. Very your, funny. your lip's bleeding. Yeah, yeah, I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer. <laughs> oh, no, George, I'm the answer to your prayer. Hey, how, how'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. Well, who are you supposed to be, anyway? Clarence Oddbody, A.S. 2. Clarence Oddbody. What's the, what's the AS2 for? Angel, second class. Hey, I'm getting out of here. You may not need a doctor, but I do. Here you are, my good man. Hey, look here. Why, why'd you want to save me? Because I'm your guardian angel, George. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Well, you look like about the kind of an angel I'd get. What, <laughs> what, uh, what happened to your wings? Well, I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Oh, I see. But you can help me earn them, George, by letting me help you. Oh, uh, don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? No, no, no. We, we don't use money in heaven. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Oh, I see. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. <laughs> oh, tut, tut, tut. As I found it out a little late. You know, I'm worth more dead than alive. You mustn't talk like that. Joseph will never give me my wings if you keep feeling that way. You just don't realize what you've done for your folks. Why, if it hadn't been for you... Yes, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. Oh, this is not going to be easy. I'd all be better off if I hadn't been born. What did you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. George, that's wonderful. It's wonderful? What? The idea you just gave me. Well, you got your wish. You've never been born. I've never been born? Exactly. 
No worries, no $8,000 to get, nothing. You simply don't exist. All right, all right, okay, all right. George, I can do things, strange things. I can show you the world, George, the way it would be if you hadn't been born. Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute, this ear of mine. Hey, say something else in that bad ear. You don't have a bad ear anymore. Oh, I don't think you're concentrating. Oh. Don't you see? You're not the George Bailey you think you are. You're well, uh, you're nobody. That's a doggone thing I ever saw, that, that ear. Your lips stopped bleeding, too. Yeah. Yeah, hey, hey what's, what's happening around here? What is this, anyway? I need a drink, that's what I need. What, what about you, Angel? You want a drink? Well, I, I don't quite know. Come on, come I... on, we'll go as soon as our clothes are dry. Our clothes are dry, George. Hey, this, so they are. That's funny. Well, look, let's get dressed and we'll stroll over to Martini's and then... Uh, oh, excuse me. I mean, I'll stroll. You fly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't have my You don't wings. have your wings yet. No. That's right. I forgot that again. A couple of drinks and we'll both fly. Huh? Fellas. Hey, where's the boss? Where's Martini? Look, wise guy, I'm the boss, see? Okay, well, double scotch, quick, will you? What's yours? You know what? I just love some mulled wine. Huh? Heavy on the cinnamon and light on the cloves. Off with you, my lad, and lively now. Now, cut it out. Oh, come on, you. Just give him the same as I ordered. He's okay. Uh, two double scotch. What about this place? It's all changed. All of Bedford Falls has changed. You're having your wish, George. You've never been born. Oh, there'll be lots of things you've never seen before. Oh, good. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time a bell rings, it means some angel's got his wings. What'd you say? Uh, look, uh, Clarence, I don't think you better talk about angels around here. Yeah. Don't they believe in angels? Oh, yeah, they believe in them, but you know, it's just a little well, then thing. Then why should people be surprised when they see one? Uh, don't mind him, bartender. He's just a little fellow. He just never grew up, man. How old are you anyway, Clarence? Well, next May, I'll be 293. <laughs> That does it. A couple of pixies, huh? Go on, get you. Hear me, get. Where's Martini? Will you stop asking about Martini? Ain't here any. Hey, yo. Rami, didn't I tell you never to come panhandling around here? George, look. Hey, it's Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Listen, Mr. Gower, don't you know me? This is George Bailey. You. You buy me a drink, mister? Just one drink, will you, mister? Pinky! Yeah, Nick. Throw the rummy out. Oh, no, no, please. Hey, bartender, that's, that's Mr. Gower, the druggist. That rumhead spent 20 years in jail for poisoning some kid. If you knew him, you must be a jailbird yourself. Pinky, here's two more. Get him out of here. Well, get up, George. Good thing he threw us in the snowbank, huh? Hey, where's, where's Mr. Gower? Mr. Gower doesn't know you, George. You see, you weren't there to stop him from putting poison into that prescription. Hey, what do you mean I wasn't there? Look, look, tell me, what are you? Are you a hypnotist? George. Look, well, why am I seeing all these strange things here? Don't you understand? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, then who am I? Nobody. You have no identity. Oh, what do you mean I have no identity? No papers, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. Zuzu's bell. What? Zuzu's bell. I bought my little girl a bell to hang on the Christmas tree, and I forgot to give it to her. I've got it in my... I... It's gone. It's gone, too. Everything's gone. But you've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like if you'd never been born. You're crazy. 
You're crazy as a bedbug, and you're driving me crazy, too. Now, look, I'm going home to my wife and family. Do you understand that? And I'm going home alone. Better not leave him alone, Clarence. Keep following him. Joseph, oh, I'll stay near him, sir. Poor George. He's seeing Main Street now the way it would be if he hadn't lived. The thing that's really shocked him, sir, is the building and loan office. Know what's there now? Pawn shop. What's he doing? Can you see? He's talking to Ernie Bishop, the taxi driver. He wants to go home. You better tag along, Clarence. Oh, I will, sir. I will. Come on, step on it, will you, Ernie? Get me home. I'm off my nut. Where do you live, buddy? Oh, now, doggone it, Ernie. Don't you start pulling that stuff on me. 323 Sycamore. 323 Sycamore. Yeah, hurry up. Zuzu's sick. Okay, buddy. Hey, look, Ernie, I, I don't know what's happening. I'm going crazy or something. I got some bad liquor. I... Now, look, tell me this now. You're Ernie Bishop, right? And you live with your wife and kid, Donald? You've seen my wife? What do you mean? I've seen your wife. I've been in your house a hundred times. What do you... We, we built it for you, didn't we? Bud, my wife took the kid and ran away five years ago, and I ain't never seen you before in my life, see? Okay, Arnie, okay, okay. Just step on it. Get me home. Mary! Mary, where are you? Janie, Petey, Zuzu. Zuzu, where are you? This is just an old abandoned house, George. You have no wife. No children. Where are they? What have you done with them? Hey, I'll break that fancy, I told you. All right, up with your hands. Oh, Bert, Bert the cop. Thank heaven you're here. Now, look, why don't you be a good fella and I'll take you to a doctor. Bert, now, Bert, listen to me. What's the matter with you guys? Now, listen, it's that fellow there. He says he's an angel. He tried to hypnotize me. I hate to use my nightstick, but I guess I... Ow! Uh, run, George, run. He can't hit you while I'm Ow! fighting him. George, run! My teeth aren't what they used to be. Joseph, help! Joseph! Joseph! Where'd they go, Arnie? Where'd they go? I, I, I don't know. They just disappeared. Parents. Oh, Joseph, I hope you don't mind my calling on you like I did. It was very irregular, Clarence. You're by yourself again. Where's George? He's at his mother's house, sir. Well, if George hasn't been born, he has no mother. Oh, he's being very stubborn, sir. He'll just have to find these things out for himself. But his mother, that's a terribly bitter blow to a man, his old mother not knowing him. You mean I shouldn't have let him... I mean you better find him right away. Oh, and stop fighting policemen, Clarence. I'm here again, George. My mother, my own mother didn't know me. If only Harry were here. My brother were only back from Washington. Your brother fell through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. Well, that's a lie. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Don't you see, George? You really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence. Yes? Where's Mary? Please, where's my wife? I, uh, I'm not supposed to tell. Tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? I'll choke it out of you if I have to. Where's my wife? The library. She works there. She's just about to lock up for the night. So I, uh... George! George! Come back! 
Oh, there must be some easier way for me to get my wings. Mary. Mary. I'm sorry, the library's closed. Mary, it's George. Don't you know me? No, I don't know you. Let me go. Mary, please, don't do this to me. Mary, please, help me. Help me. Where, where are our kids? Mary, I need you, Mary. Oh, get please. away from me. Help! Help! Help me. help me, Mary. I'm George. Mary! <laughs> Joseph, where's George? I'm afraid I've lost him, sir. You knew you shouldn't have let him try to see Mary. Now they're after him, a mob. They think he was trying to hurt her. Joseph, I won't even get one wing, will I? You have one more chance, Terrence. Get over to the bridge by the river. I think George has seen just about enough. But, uh, but the mob... Uh, don't worry. They've lost him, too. Now hurry up. Oh, thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Clarence. I'm here, George. Help me, Clarence. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Only get me back to my wife and kids, please. I want to live again. Oh, thank you, George. Thank you, boy. I want to live again, please. Oh, God, please let me live again. George? Is that you down there, George? Now, get out of here, Bert. Get out of here. You come in any closer, I'll, what the I'll let you have it. What the hell are you yelling for, George? Come on. George. George, Bert. But do you know me? No, yeah, I've been looking all over town for you. Where you been? Hey, Bert, Bert, I'm alive again, Bert. You sure you're all right? Hey, your mouth's bleeding. It is. Hey, my mouth's bleeding. Bert, look at look at the blood come out of there. Would you? Uh, and where's Zuzu's Christmas bell, Bert? I had it right in my pocket. Here it is. Hey, it's in my pocket. What do you know about? Hey, Merry Christmas, Bert. Well, Merry Christmas. Get in the car. I'll drive you home. You will, Bert. We'll do that. I turn the siren wide open, huh? Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls. Hey, Merry Christmas, old building alone. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. Yippee! Come on. Hey, Bert, come on, come on in with me, huh? Well, what are the, these people, these reporters? Hey, oh, oh, Merry Christmas, reporters. Hey, Mr. Bank Examiner, Merry Mr. Christmas. Mr. Bailey, George. there's a deficit. I know, $8,000, I'll bet, huh? George, I've got a little paper here. I'm oh, sorry. I, but... I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't that wonderful? Merry Christmas. Hey, where's Mary, you know? Uh, look at this wonderful old drafty house. Shouldn't it wonder? Have you seen my wife? Where's Mary? Mary! Hey, kid, Janie, Petey! Hey, oh, I could eat you up. Where's your mother? She went looking for you, Daddy, with Uncle Billy. Oh, Daddy? Zuzu, my little ginger snap. How do you feel, huh? Fine, Daddy. Not a snitch of temperature. Not a snitch of temperature. Hallelujah! George! George, darling! It's Mommy! Mommy's home! Mary! George, where have you been? Oh, Mary, George, oh, Mary, George. Now, look, just let me touch you. Oh, you're real, Mary. Oh, you've no idea what happened to me. You've no idea what's happened either. They're on their way here. Who? Who's on their way? Oh, the police department? I don't... The FBI? The National Guard? I'm alive again, Mary. Oh, listen, Mary, I'm alive again. Oh, yes, darling, yes. Now, now, close your eyes and, and come on downstairs. Oh, you... What is it? Can't open my eyes yet, Mary? What's going on here? Now, now keep your eyes closed. Now, I'll just walk you over here by the Christmas tree and... Well, the people I hear, but lots of people. What, what is it? Lots of people. Just one minute now. We're all ready, Uncle Billy. Come in, everybody. George, look! Just look! Uncle Billy! Money! 
George, a laundry basket filled with money. Well, money for you. Mary did it, George. Mary. I don't understand. What money? What? People heard you were in trouble, darling. These people, your friends, they've collected this money for you. The $8,000. Charlie. Hey, there's Mar- there's Martini. Uh, Mr. Gower. Hey, how are you, Mr. Gower? Mrs. Thompson. Ed. Tom. Everybody. None of us would have a roof over our heads if it wasn't for you, George. Garth, this is wonderful. Hey, Mary, look. Look who's coming in. Mother. Hi, Mother. Hey, and Harry. Got Mary's telegram, George. I flew in as fast as I could. Hey, everybody, a toast. How about a toast? Oh, good idea, Ernie. A toast to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Adventures of Tom Sawyer. There's something written in it. Dear George, remember no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings, love, Clarence. Clarence? Yeah, he's a very dear friend of mine. Daddy, this is Welsh. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right, Zuzu. That's right. That's right. Attaboy, Clarence. Attaboy, Clarence. Happy landing. It's a wonderful life so long as we can have such fine performances as we enjoyed tonight. From Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Jimmy, I'd like to thank whatever guardian angel whisked you back from Texas for our show this evening. Well, that guardian angel was an airline's wing, uh, Bill. <laughs> you were in Texas for the premiere of this picture, weren't you, Jimmy? Yeah, Frank Capra and I went down for five openings as many nights. Pretty All good down there in Texas, Texas yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, every one of them. There are five premieres over Texas. You know, it's a pretty big state. Takes that many. To <laughs> do Jimmy, I'm sure your fans were proud to read that you received an honorary degree from Princeton just the other week. Yes, how about that, Jimmy? Do we call you professor now? No, 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 no. It's just an M.A. Oh, Master of Arts? Well, I it might have been. I don't know. It might be for murdering architecture. That's what I studied. <laughs> Lux Radio Theater is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. During the holiday season, we like to give the staff here in the Lava Lamp Lounge some much-needed time off. And with only 12 shopping days left until the big day later this month, we would like to offer this simple reminder in lieu of the usual nonsense we often provide. Shop local. Your chosen family is more important than anything else. Don't scrimp on the sides, pies, or extra LPs and let Sheena's Jungle Room be your guide through the darkest days to something we can all enjoy in the following year. From all of us here at Dime Store Radio Theater, Sappy Hollandaise. And now, we return you to Lux Radio Theater, here on Dime Store Radio Theater. Good night. Good night, and thanks a million. This 
is William Keeley saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. Here's a sure way to save on your meat and grocery bills. Turn in used fats, kitchen fats, to your butcher and receive a generous price for every pound. The worldwide supply of fats is still desperately short, and every drop you save helps in the making of soap, refrigerators, and other needed items. So save and turn in your used kitchen fats. Donna Reed appeared through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Beginning or the End, starring Brian Donlevy and Robert Walker. James Stewart will soon be seen in the Robert Riskin production for RKO, Magic Town. Victor Moore will soon be seen in Roy Del Ruth's production, It Happened on Fifth Avenue. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers. This program is broadcast to our men and women overseas through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Another exciting edition of Dime Store Revelations. The show within a show. Where we uh, talk a little bit about what's going on. With our shows and uh, with uh, the show in general. And uh, of course we always like to give a little shout out to those who are hanging out in the chat. Charles... Scott67, Chris O, who unfortunately had to go to bed, but uh, we understand it's much later where you are than it is for us. Uh, Mr. Fab, of course, uh, always uh, hanging in there with the uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life uh, commentary. Uh, And uh, WR, thank you for for joining us. We are in our Christmas uh, extravaganza film fest. Call it what you will. I think I actually I am calling it a film fest uh, uh, on the uh, other um, uh, uh, other sources here and there. Oh, M H Lee is there as well. How you doing, M H Lee? Nice to see you. Now, uh, since uh, Bogart was actually born on Christmas Day, we've been uh, continuing to air uh, during this segment uh, a uh, Bogart and Bacall biography channel uh, uh, sort of uh, thing where, that I've actually stitched together with a series of, of documentaries that I found on on both of them. Um, uh, Bacall, of course, uh, uh, lived uh, much longer than Bogart, and so uh, her life story kind of uh, hasn't even really taken off uh, uh, by the time uh, Bogart uh, passes away. Um, uh, but uh, uh, certainly, um, uh, uh, their their stories are uh, uh, entwined and uh, uh, connected. So I feel like it's uh, uh, worth uh, having those back to back to back. <clears throat> now we actually have one of my favorite uh, uh, radio programs coming up here, uh, and, and a show uh, that had several uh, people voicing the the lead role. Um, but uh, I am airing one uh, voiced by. Uh, 
one of my favorite actors to play the character, uh, Vincent Price, uh, in uh, his version of The Saint. Um, a character that was a, a pulp character for many, many years, uh, and then uh, moved to uh, novels and uh, uh, comics and uh, radio. Um, and on the radio was played by many different actors. Some people uh, like to consider um, uh, the Yours Truly Johnny Dollar as one of those programs that had uh, the most different uh, host, uh, 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 actors perform the lead role on radio, but uh, certainly um, The Saint uh, gives uh, that uh, character a run for its money. Barno, hey, it's always nice to see you in the chat as well. The Saint, of course, went on to be on TV and in film. Uh, it was a, one of those uh, characters that has been uh, reinterpreted uh, pretty much every uh, era that uh, you can think of. I think there was a, a version of The Saint in the 90s that I was kind of fond of that was on TV that only lasted a season. I know that there was another version of The Saint not too long ago on TV that I never managed to see, and I think it might have lasted longer than the one I liked, so... Um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those characters that is like endlessly re-inventable. Uh, um, I think there's even a Val Kilmer movie where he plays the saint. I mean, it's it's one of those characters like they they're always trying to to bring it back. Um, so yeah, we're gonna hear a Christmas installment of the saint um, with uh, Vincent Price in the lead role. I think Vincent uh, does the 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 saint the best. Um, the saint is uh, for those who don't know, uh, he's just a well-off gent with a, a, a nice bankroll who uh, happens to find himself in all these weird situations on a regular basis. Um, and so he has this cab driver, uh, Louis, who is his kind of companion who helps take him from place to place. And, and, and whatever kind of weird thing has just kind of unfolded around the saint, he usually ends up having to solve the problem for everybody um, in a kind of detective-like sort of way. So... I'm hoping that y'all enjoy uh, the same like I do. I, I may uh, run uh, some uh, uh, of the Vincent Price, uh, the saint, on this show at some point, but um, uh, not quite yet. So you're going to hear the Christmas episode now. And then uh, we had another chunk of command performance. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but um, command performance is actually one of those radio shows that is uh, unlike a lot of the other stuff that we've been playing in that it wasn't on actual regular radio like uh, 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 all these other programs command for, for performance was made specifically for um the armed forces radio service which was um one of those um uh, uh thing it was like a loose network of um shortwave radios and uh, other low-powered kind of broadcasting uh, devices that were specifically for military bases and for other uh, kinds of places uh, where people were stationed. Um, and uh, the particular AFRS stations at any of these bases or locations um, varied in size and strength and quality um, and whether or not there were hosts that were there kind of all the time or just occasionally. Um, but when World War II uh, 
happened, of course. Uh, people wanted entertainment for the soldiers out uh, in the particular fields and whatnot. Um, and so very quickly, this uh, system was put into place where since they were already making radio shows for other stuff, the transcription disc technology was easy to just ship to every base in the world and then just send discs like you would send them to any other radio station. Uh, and uh, Command Performance had the luxury of being this really high-quality, excellent show with a lot of Hollywood stars and musicians and performers all in one place uh, doing this amazing performance. And so uh, it was actually a pretty fun show for people back home to see. Uh, I think they recorded it in California. Um, but it was uh, something that people uh, overseas looked forward to because they would answer letters. They would reference specific people and specific bases. And then, of course, they would fulfill requests where uh, you know people who listened to the show would write in and say, hey, we really want to hear this. We really want to see this. We really want to, you know, uh, oh, see, sorry. You really want to, like, uh, 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 have this comedy routine, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh, command performance became kind of interactive in a way that a lot of other radio shows didn't really take advantage of until later. Uh, letters didn't really get read on a lot of radio shows, at least in the 40s. Um, I think you, you heard more of that kind of in the 50s and 60s. Uh, and, e and even then, uh, letters were kind of like a, a not quick way of interacting with a radio show. And so I think that's why people didn't usually send many of them. Though I do know that a letter writing campaign kept Dimension X on the air, uh, one of our standard shows that we've been listening to uh, when it's not a holiday time of year. Anyway, a lot of backstory on Command Performance. Uh, <clears throat> the reason why we have so many recordings of Command Performance broadcasts is because of the transcription discs. These shows were very popular, and any base that had any amount of radio broadcasting capabilities saved these discs because they would just play them over and over and over again um, because it was content that people loved to hear uh and uh you know especially they would keep holiday stuff because around the holidays they would want to just have these discs playing like all day long um because uh you know sometimes that was the only time that you knew you would be able to listen to the radio uh uninterrupted um because you might get deployed to do this that or the other Anyway, uh, for more information about uh, the military broadcasting and whatnot, consult your local library. Uh, there's a lot to read. It's a, 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 a there's a, a, a what do you call it? A, a rabbit hole of, uh, for for all of us out there if uh, if we look for it. Any whoozle. It's time uh, for me to move on to uh, the rest of the show. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And, and I, re I really do want to thank Barno uh, for setting me up. Um, it's nice to have a good, reliable DJ on beforehand that does a show, brings a crowd, uh, keeps the energy up, uh, gets me ready to do my show. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice thing to have. Um, I like my little radio community. Enough sentimental yappiness. Let's uh, let's get back into it. It's a uh, um, Dime Store Radio Theater, Dime Store Revelations, uh, and uh, yeah, let's get back to this Bogey and Bacall uh, documentary. Be seeing you. In the fall of 1944. 
Bogart donned his detective's trench coat for the second time and became the quintessential Philip Marlowe in the screen adaptation of Raymond Chandler's The Big Sleep. Sometimes I wonder what strange fate brought me out of the storm to that house that stood alone in the shadows. As I probed into its mysteries, every clue told me a different story. But each had the same ending. Murder. Bogart and Bacall. Hollywood's Golden Age. Part 3 Lauren Bacall was again his co-star. On screen, as Marlowe, Bogey was the personification of cool, never revealing that behind the scenes, his marriage to Mayo was crumbling in trial separations and fits of jealousy. Laura McCall tells the story, the phone rings in the middle of the night. It's Mayo, she's screaming at her, saying, Who's going to wash his socks? Are you going to take care of him? As The Big Sleep wrapped production in January of 1945, the battling Bogarts finally called a truce. On May 10th, Mayo gave Bogey a divorce. Just 11 days later, 45-year-old Bogart married 20-year-old Bacall at a friend's farm in Ohio. The attempt to keep it a small, quiet affair failed, and the wedding party became outnumbered by reporters and photographers. The public embraced the glamorous couple. Warners decided to rework the big sleep. New scenes were shot with Bogart and Bacall to take advantage of their popularity. I like that. I'd like more. 1946 was a good year for Bogart. The Big Sleep was big at the box office. Bogey put his prints at Grauman's Chinese Theater. Bogart and Bacall got to work together again on Dark Passage. 1946 was also the year that Bogart was finally in a position to get what he wanted from Warner Brothers. He signed a new contract that made him the highest paid actor in the world, gave him director and script approval, and the right to work for another studio once a year. He celebrated by buying himself a 55-foot sailboat, the Santana. His favorite thing to do was to go sailing. And uh, he could go where he wanted to go. And that was his escape. And he loved it. It was his recreation and it was his passion. Bogart was also getting more involved with politics. The question is, have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? When the House of Un-American Activities Committee started their communist witch hunt in Hollywood, Bogart and Bacall were willing to use their star status to help call attention to the injustice being done. John Houston formed the Committee for the First Amendment, and we chartered a plane, and we went to Washington and sat in where this committee was conducting itself, because it was also attacking Hollywood for writing commie movies, you know, well, it was utter, it was utter nonsense. But public opinion began to sway against the outspoken actors. Dark Passage wasn't doing very well at the box office. In December, Bogart recanted and said his actions were ill-advised. He wouldn't really have swung around in his thinking, but he did have a career. He did have to earn money. He had people he was supporting. There was that part of it. In his next two films with John Huston, 
It's almost as if they were re-examining Bogart's persona of the guy who would always end up doing the right thing. In Key Largo, it wasn't until the very end of the picture that Bogart finally stood up to Edward G. Robinson's gangster character, Rocco. In The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Bogart took a risky next step when he played Fred C. Dobbs, a character that goes beyond redemption. Shut your trap! Shut up! I'll smash your head flat! Ah! Throw it! Without me, you two would die here more miserable than rats! Leave him alone! Can't you see the old man's nuts? <laughs> and we watch our, our hero, in a way. You like Bogart. You really like him. And you watch Fred C. Dobbs go downhill. And you go with him. And you go with him, because he's going to teach us a lesson about greed and life. But in order to teach us that lesson, he's going to have to take the dive. He's going to have to go down. I know exactly what you mean. You want to take it all for yourself and cut me out. I know you for what you are. A long time I've had my suspicions about you. Now I know I've been right. By the time he's, you know, hooking up his mules and he's talking to himself and he says, you have to get up pretty early in the morning to put one over on Fred C. Dobbs. Let me tell you. <laughs> By that time, you know he's gone. And he's not coming back, you know. <laughs> and uh, he, like, sacrifices himself for us, in a way, Bogart, in that film. And it's very courageous. Aside from these two classic films with Houston in the late 40s, Bogart was still not happy with the quality of the other films Warner Brothers was offering him. He decided to take more control and was the first actor to form his own production company. But then, Bogart was suddenly confronted with a role he felt he was not prepared for. Lauren Bacall was pregnant with their first child. In the late 1940s, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall were Hollywood royalty. When, at almost 50, Bogart was about to become a father for the first time, it was big news. Harry Truman and my father made a bet on whether I'd be a boy or a girl. My father bet I'd be a girl. Harry Truman bet I'd be a boy. Obviously, Harry Truman won. So my father sent him a check for 20 bucks. And Harry Truman sent back the check, co-signed on the back with a letter from the White House saying how much he respects a man who remembers his debts and pays them. It's pretty amazing. Stephen Humphrey Bogart was born on January 6th in 1949. Fatherhood was a rough transition for Bogart. It was still an era in which real men didn't change diapers, except in posed studio publicity pictures. He was very happy to become a father, but he was scared. He didn't know what to do. He was kind of uh, in awe, shall we say, of the little thing. And you know, crying babies and stuff like that. I, I don't think that he was really into that part of it, you know. It was like, let me wait a little bit till the kid gets a little older and we can really start to talk and stuff. If his fans feared that fatherhood might mellow their hero, Bogey, headlines eight months after the birth proved they had nothing to worry about. While in New York, Bogart dropped in at a night spot named the El Morocco, carrying a big stuffed panda bear he bought for his son. So he sat at his booth with his drink and his panda, and an actress named Robin Roberts, who wanted publicity, and who had, according to testimony in court, been set up by the nightclub, came over to his table and said something like, I want your panda, and she tried to grab it. And Bogart, who was half in the bag, 
grabbed it back and they had a tug of war and he told her, you're not going to get my panda. This is for my kid. And uh, according to her testimony, he knocked her down. The judge threw the case out. He said there was no basis to it. But for three days, it was a three days wonder. There was a great deal of attention given to it because it's such an outrageous story. But Bogart was asked, you know, were you were you drunk at the time? And Bogart's great answer is, isn't everyone at 3 a.m. in the morning? <laughs> These kinds of exploits may have helped him prepare for one of his most famous roles, the hard-drinking old rascal Charlie Allnut in The African Queen. Director John Huston's quest for realism led Bogey and co-star Katherine Hepburn to remote parts of Africa for months. Surviving the production became an ordeal nearly as dramatic as the film itself. Almost everybody came down with dysentery. Bogey and Houston were the only two that did not get sick, uh, you know, because uh, they didn't drink the water. Basically, they were drinking something else, and we know what that was. Hepburn's subtitle to the hit book she would later write about her experiences probably summed it up best. How I went to Africa with Bogart, Bacall, and Houston, and almost lost my mind. But for Bogart, working with Houston once again paid off. And at the age of 53, he won his one and only Academy Award. He never thought that he would win an Oscar. He was stunned and, and happy and proud and everything, although he probably never would have admitted it. Bogart and Bacall. We'll return next week here on Dime Store Radio Theater. Tune in and follow the story. Well, well, well. It looks like there's an unexpected gift left under the tree this year. And would you look at that? It appears to be a selection from the Christmas Eve episode of Command Performance from 1942. And now, fellas, command performance answers mail from every corner of every one of the United Nations. It's the old groaner himself, Bing Crosby. Uh, darn nice of you to dress. <laughs> Informal tonight, Formal. <laughs> Forward, you got a shirt on. Is that a shirt? You get in the bed quickly, don't you, huh? <laughs> thank you, thank you. Season's greetings, fellows, and a Merry Christmas to you, High Horn. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, short, squat, and melodic. Say, you know, <laughs> you're going to wear those earmuffs all during the show. Look, uh, my cheek chicory. You don't like my cheek chicory? Your cheek chicory. Yeah. Well, shut it. You know, Cross, uh -huh. we've been on a lot of radio programs together. Big ones, small ones, long wave, short wave. But command performance tonight is going to be different from anything we've ever done before. Oh, you mean I'm going to get a few laughs? <laughs> well, not that different, no. <laughs> Say, Cross, you were a little late coming down to the studio. Where were you? Well, you know how Christmas Eve is, Bob, with the kids and everything. I was home. Yeah? How are things out of Boys Town? <laughs> Oh, they're rugged, Bob. Very rugged. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Tell the truth, I'm a little worried. Worried? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm dressing up as Santa Claus tomorrow, and I'm afraid the kids will recognize me. I don't, don't worry, Claus. The minute you put on that Santa Claus suit, nobody will recognize you. Why not? It'll be the first time in 20 years you've worn a co coat and pants that match. Don't miss that. <laughs> 
coat. <laughs> but seriously, Bing, hmm? to get back to the program tonight, I can't get over this command performance. That's Imagine wonderful. we're being heard by close to a billion people in nearly 30 countries. Brother, when you lay an egg tonight, it's an international omelet, isn't it? <laughs> I want to tell you, this hookup is nothing compared to the radio we're going to have when this war is over. We'll have television all over the world. Television, huh? That's right, Bob. People will be able not only to hear you, but see you. They can use their eyes and their ears. Well, do you think they'll appreciate my jokes just as well? Say, they've got noses, haven't they? It'll be a great world. Just think of the possibilities in aviation alone. Why, it'll be fantastic. Everything will be different. The planes will be so thick in the sky, you won't be able to see the sun. Well, in California, what's so different about that? <laughs> yes, uh, thank you. Thank you, tourists. Thank you. Where were we? <laughs> I tremble to think, though, Bob. You know, with all those planes up in the sky, do you think the stork will be able to find his way? To your house, blindfolded. <laughs> I understand. I understand you're making him go around to the servants' entrance now. Is that right? Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, Trapped again. You beast. <laughs> I had it. It's an ad lib for my writers. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> It's going to be a great world, a grand world after the war. I'm going to... You know what I'm going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to build myself a brand new house, and I'm going to paper every room with the music of one of the famous songs of the war. Say, that sounds like a novel idea. What are you going to use? Well, I thought in my, in my trophy room, I'll put praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. And by the telephone, I'll put, uh, I came here to talk for Joe. <laughs> and in the card room, I'll put, uh, be careful, it's my heart. Well, where are you going to put your Fuhrer's face? <laughs> are, are you kidding <laughs> Well, I guess that takes care of post-war planning, but right now I've got a little request here from some of the lads over there. Ready to cut one, Bing? Well, get me on, Dad. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, fellas. The old groaner is ambling over to the post to team up with a quartet that's a sure thing in Harlem and down Park Avenue. Where's the quartet? And wherever you guys hear command performance. It's the Charioteers and Bing Crosby and Basin Street Blues. Won't you come along with me? Now won't you come along with me? Down the Mississippi, down the Mississippi, we'll take a boat to the land of dreams. Steam down the river, down to New Orleans. There's gonna be a band there to meet us There's a band there to meet us Oh, oh friends to greet us Oh, friends to greet us That's where the old and the young folks meet Heaven on earth, they call it Basin Street Basin Street
surprised to see Or just how much it really means Glad to be Yes, sirree Where welcome's free And dear to me Where I can lose Those doggone days of street blues Play a little of that piano on the air, will you, Jen? Adventures of the Saints, starring Vincent Price. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris and known to millions from books, magazines, and motion pictures. The Robin Hood of modern crime now comes transcribed to radio, starring Hollywood's brilliant and talented actor Vincent Price as... The Saint. The Saint is brought to you by Sheena's Jungle Room and Mid-Valley Mutations. During the holiday season, we like to give the staff here in the Lava Lamp Lounge some much-needed time off. And with only 12 shopping days left until the big day later this month, we would like to offer this simple reminder in lieu of the usual nonsense we often provide. Shop local. Your chosen family is more important than anything else. Don't scrimp on the sides, pies, or extra LPs, and let Sheena's Jungle Room be your guide through the darkest days to something we can all enjoy in the following year. From all of us here at Dime Store Radio Theater, Sappy Hollandaise. And now, we return you to The Saint, here on Dime Store Radio Theater. Come in! 
Hi, Mr. Templeton. Oh, hello, Louie. Where are you? I'm in my room. I'll be ready oh. in a minute. Hey, wait till you see my cat. I gave it a bath for Christmas. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Look, I don't want to rush you, but if you don't hurry, Christmas Eve is going to be already Christmas morning. And what will all them tots think? Oh, them tots will be singularly fortunate. However, all I have to do now is get my whiskers on. There. How do I look? Mr. Templer, if I didn't know you was Mr. Templer, yes. I wouldn't know who you were. Hmm. Louis, don't I look like Santa Claus? This may come as a surprise to you, Mr. Templer. Santa Claus is fat. Oh. You're not fat. Oh. Well, hand me that cushion from the couch, huh? Okay. Here. Yeah, thank you. Now then. How's that? Now say ho, ho, ho. What for? Santa Claus is always say ho, ho, ho. Oh, I see. Uh, uh, ho, ho, ho. Well, anyway, you look like Santa Claus. Hey, Mr. Templer, whose idea was this? Uh, Mrs. Winterbottom's. Oh, the dame who annoys tots on Christmas Eve. Mrs. Huh? Winterbottom is a very well-known philanthropist, and every Christmas Eve she collects hundreds of small children and feeds them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who feeds them the rest of the year? Don't be bitter, Louie. Sorry. At least I ought to give the little tots a, a laugh. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose there is something to be said for Mrs. Winterbottom. Don't say it now. Don't worry. There's something to be said for Santa Claus, too. He does go around filling stockings. Yeah, I know a blonde. Shouldn't say that either, huh? No. Hmm. Someone at the door. Louis, would you mind? No. Uh, it's probably one of them tots. Correction, it's a tot twenty years later. Get in. I'm already in. Back up. I'm backing up. Thanks. Now reach, gents. Hey, you know, that gun in her hand looks loaded. Now that you mention Reach. For what? Uh, the chandelier. You can't. Why not? No chandelier. Oh, a wise guy, huh? If you're going to shoot me, I insist on knowing your name. Uh, just call me Sally. Sally. And uh, your last name? Never mind that. How would you like to get plugged in the... In the... Bread basket? Where? Oh, let's pass lightly over that. I wouldn't like to get plugged anywhere. Then shut up. All right. Where is it? Uh, right down the hall, Are you trying to be smart? Not especially. So it's going to be like that, huh? Like what? Now, you listen to me, Fats Boylan. Huh? You shut up, too. I didn't say anything. Well, shut up anyway. I'm shutting up. Uh... Uh, what was I saying? You just finished calling me Fats Boylan. Uh, that's right. That's wrong. I'm not Fats Boylan. Ha. Huh. Well, it helps keep the conversation Look, going. Look, Fats, are you going to stop stalling and hand over the stuff, or will I have to shoot? Uh, since I am not Fats Boylan, and since I have no stuff to hand over, I'm afraid you'll have to shoot. Mr. Templer, that could be fatal. You keep quiet, punk. Who's a punk? You're a punk. Mr. Templer, am I a punk? Well, Sally is just a little confused this evening, Louie. Confused Louis. or not, she shouldn't call oh, me a... shut up! Oh. You know, you don't have to start bawling. I am not bawling. I, I am... You were just about to shoot me. Well, I know, but then you'd bleed. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I can't stand the sight of blood. Why don't you strangle him? Louie, don't be unkind. It seems to be the doorbell again. No, wait. Oh, it's very impolite to keep people waiting. But I, I must have been followed here. I... Sally, look, stop illustrating a point with that gun. It might go off. I don't care. But then I'd bleed. But where can I go? I've got to hide. Well, try the kitchen. All right. Oh, come on in. It's open house tonight. Well, well, my old pal, Fats... I am not. Boylan. 
Although I'm beginning to waver. Perhaps I am. <laughs> Simon, the split personality. Who are you? Well, Joe Hudson. You remember your old pal, Hudson. Hudson. Hmm. Well, I must admit you look like a hornet, but your lines aren't as nice. Look, if I'm your old pal, why don't I know you? Oh, that's easy. We never met personally. Well, how else can you meet? Ignore that. But if we haven't met personally or otherwise, how can I be your pal? Oh, I, I was just being friendly. <laughs> Besides... Hey, you got something for me. I have? Uh, <laughs> oh, great little kidder, ain't you, Fats? <laughs> ain't he, pal? Now I feel better. I'm a pal, too. Look, I wish I deserved your delighted choice. Uh, look, but... just leave me have the stuff, and the then I'll get... Stuff again. What stuff? Am I going to have trouble with you? Uh, the door behind you is open. Why don't you use it, huh? In that way, nobody will have any trouble. I'll use it. I'll use it after. After what? Such like that, huh? Ever see one of these before? I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you, but the answer is yes, I have. Good, good. Then you know how it works. It shoots bullets at guys. Guys who get bullet shot at them have a habit of dying. Really? Well, then perhaps you'd better not shoot that gun at me. I won't. So give me. So I ain't got. Well, that is I. That is you ain't got. <laughs> Thanks, Louis. Basic, I ain't a patient man. Hand the stuff over or I... I don't have any stuff. Or you get shot. I bleed. Who cares? I do. <laughs> I hoped you might. However, this could be a stall. This could be trouble, so you... You can't shoot him. Why not? It's against the law. I read it in the papers. It's against the law. Yeah, yeah, I believe you. Oh, well, so that's okay. Yeah, but I like doing things against the law. Oh, well, you you, you could go to jail. I already been there. Well, for shooting somebody, they'll hang you or something. If somebody told them. Well, I would. You would, huh? Uh, I would. So maybe I'd better shoot you first. Well, I, I wouldn't want to deprive Mr. Templer of the privilege. I, well, Fats, it's your last chance. Oh, not that phrase. Also, I still don't so know... So it looks like I'm going to break a law. Hey, who did that? You did, you dope. I did not. This here is a plan. But you won't get away with it. <sighs> Goodbye, Mr. Hudson. Mr. Templer, who made with the artillery? It must have been Sally. She's in the kitchen. She can stay there. She saved our lives, Louis. Yeah, but maybe by now she's found out she likes to shoot guns. Let's hope not. Uh, hello. It was nice of you to frighten Mr. Hudson off. I did? You did. I, I didn't hit anybody? No. Oh, I'm so glad. Hey, hey I, I, I've got her. She's out cold. <laughs> Come on, I'll put her on the couch. Come on. It's a little late, but somebody ought to mention she is not a bad-looking dish. You've mentioned it. Mm. Looking for smelling salts in her bag? No. Identification. Here's a driver's license. Her name is Sally Walters. Address, 49 Arden Drive. Social security card. She's a secretary. That's what I need. Oh, take it back. She's coming, too. Better put the bag back. Yeah, but keep the gun, though. There's still some bullets in it. No. We don't want her to know we went through her bag. We're ashamed of ourselves? We're going to pay her a visit. She ain't home. But she will be after she leaves here, and then perhaps we can find out what keeps the uh, home fires burning. was in kind of a hurry leaving us. So she was. Mr. Templer, don't look right Santa Claus chasing a blonde. Uh, I'm not chasing her. Technicalities will get you no place. Hey, this must be it. 49. 
What is she a secretary of? The Treasury? I suspect this is where she works, Louis. She works overtime, huh? Yeah, and probably sleeps in. Come on. I hope that nobody is peeking because they'll think Santa Claus is off schedule. I think perhaps I can manage without the whiskers. Yeah. Ouch! Now you look like an imposter. Yeah. Will you ring, Louie? Okay. You know, this is the type house. I got a feeling Santa Claus would have to use the saving center. Uh, <clears throat> yes. I'm Simon Templer. You are? I am. There's nothing I can do about it. Mm, Mr. Templer, all butlers are like him? I doubt it. I think he's been practicing. Haw. Haw. Well, good night, then. I think not. Would you mind removing your shoe from the door? I would. You might at least have shined it. Humphrey, whoever is it at this time of night? No one, madam. Oh, but such an interesting-looking no one. Santa Claus, you've lost your whiskers. <laughs> I haven't. They're right here in my pocket. Oh, how nice. Actually, my name is Simon Templer. I'm Carla Worth. Uh, this is Louie. Hi. Oh, I, I mean... Hi. Hmm, be kind to the peasant's type. Uh, did you want to see me? Uh, now that I've seen you, uh, yes. Well, come in, then. <laughs> Thank you. But, madam... Humphrey, go away. Yes, madam... Humphrey's such a problem sometimes, shall we? Hmm. Nice? Mmm, yeah. Fire in the fireplace, books on the bookshelves, port in that decanter. Yes, would you like some? Uh, no, thank you. I just wanted to be sure the accessories were all correct. Someday, maybe I'll find some other wine besides port in the decanter. I dream. Simon, are you the one who found them? It's beginning again. Found what? My jewels, of course. Have they been lost? Simon, they were stolen. You know that, don't you? Should I? I've heard of the saint, Simon. I didn't know he was also a Santa Claus. Oh, it's a fleeting impulse. Uh, when were your jewels stolen? This afternoon. You see, Claude, my husband, that is, oh. bought me them for Christmas. <laughs> Santa Claude. Louis. Sorry. We decided to have the party this afternoon. We thought it'd be nice to have a quiet eve, so we did. The jewels were in quite a large box. There were quite a lot of them. And? Claude had hired a Santa Claus, but before the party was over, Santa Claus had disappeared. So at the jewels. Well, there must have been some precautions. Oh, there were several detectives. Uh, but the Santa Claus said he was going out to get some air while the party was on. He never came back. But he didn't have the jewels on him. The box was locked and it was too large for the detectives not to have noticed. I see. The name of the man hired to play Santa Claus was, of course, uh... Fats Portland. And who may you be? Claude, this is Simon Templer. I and know. Louis. I know neither of them. Snoops, obviously. Get rid of them. Claude likes to behave as though he were an emperor on occasion. The box wasn't found anywhere in the house? The jewel box, no. The jewels were insured? Naturally. It's none of your affair. I shall speak severely to Humphrey. He should never have let you in. I let them in, darling. So now he's going to speak severely to her? Uh, we'll go quietly, except... Uh, Mr. Worth, what is Fats Boylan's address? I have no idea. Good night. Good night, Simon, and I'm sorry. So am I. I'll show you out. Thank you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pronounced Carla Worth. Yeah. What do we do now, Santa Claus? Uh, we get into your nice, clean cab and... Hey, wait a minute, Louie. Hm. Now we're going to find out what became of Sally. Simon... Well, good evening, Sally. I overheard. Fat's address is 17 Beale Street. 17 Beale. Yes, I've got to get right back to the house before anybody notices. Goodbye. 
an awful short visit. You've been long enough. Now we're going to visit Mr. Boylan? I think so. I hope he ain't so handy with a gun as the rest of these characters. He may be, he may not be. Now I'm all cheered up. Hmm, but there's one thing I'm sure he isn't. What's that? Fat. Quite a change from the weights dump. Now this is a dump. Yeah, and Mr. Boylan would seem to be shy. Mr. Templer, you said something about the one thing he wouldn't be was fat. Why, because he was called fats? Mm, not exactly. Louis, I'm worried. Mm. Hey. Hey, the door was open. Yes. Maybe that means our bird has flown? Maybe. Come on, let's go in. Okay. I ain't usually so poetical, but uh, the light's on. Yes. And the room looks funny. Looks like a, a hurricane came to stay for dinner. Mm, and remained for six months. Somebody was looking for a, a jewel box? And someone obviously didn't find it. The extent of the search indicates that. Nothing was left untouched. It's a funny smell in this room, you know. A couple of funny smells. Yeah. One's perfume and the other... Gunpowder. Huh? Gunpowder. That's why I ain't been looking behind any pieces of furniture. It really wasn't very far to look, Louie. Huh? He's behind the daybed. Fats? Fats, Louie. He, uh, he ain't doing so good? He's dead. Uh, and Louie... Yeah? He wasn't fat. Reasoned bleedings from everyone here at Dime Store Radio Theater and Sheena's Jungle Room. Mr. Templer? Yes, Louis? We're being followed. Since? Since uh, we got out of Boylan's place. That's interesting. Louis, stop the cab. That'll make it easier for whoever's following us. Exactly what I want. Even on Christmas Eve, this shouldn't happen. Now what? Uh, we get out. Don't look behind you. Start walking. Mm. Here is a nice, lonely street. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is home hanging up stockings. I wouldn't mind hanging up stockings myself. I, I, I... Who do you think it is? I think it's our friend Hudson. Oh, I just lost five pounds. You mean the guy that was chasing Sally who was all ready to shoot us until she made the explosion? A neat reminder. Oh, you think he wants our money or our life? Possibly. What kind of an answer is that? In here, what? quickly. Here. Mr. Templer, this here alley is full of garbage cans. It's also dark. You don't have to see garbage cans to know they're around. Hudson? Yes. Good evening, Hudson. Huh? Don't turn around. I've got a gun on you. Hey, I don't like it. Louie, take Mr. Hudson's gun away from him. Okay. Got it, Mr. Templer. Good. Aim it at him. Hey, now, wait a minute. You can't shoot me with my own gun. Why not? That ain't tactful. Uh, what other gun could I shoot you with? Your own. Hey, you mean you ain't got a... Oh, mister, you are a liar. And on Christmas Eve, too. Hudson, who hired you to follow Sally and me? Uh, uh it was my own idea. Uh, Louie, hmm? Mr. Hudson isn't being friendly. He ain't, huh? Mm, he ain't. Therefore... Hey, you know, don't, don't lose your heads, fellas. We've lost patience with him, Louie. We have? Mm, shoot him, Louie. He's beginning to bore me. He's beginning to... I, sh I, I should shoot him? Yes. Fatal? Fatal. Okay. 
Except I don't know what my wife and six kids are going to say. You haven't got a wife and six kids. Now, 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 wait a minute, please. Louis, we're being cruel, prolonging Mr. Hudson's agony. Put him out of it. Now, wait a minute. Who hired you? Uh, Mrs. Worth. Mrs. Carla Worth. You quite sure? Strike me dead. That is, don't strike me dead. Look, look, if she didn't, why would I say she did? You have a point there. But uh, why should she have wanted you to follow Sally? Well, she had an idea. Her husband and Sally were kind of, uh, you, you know, uh, kind of uh, decorating their own little tree together. Hmm? I couldn't put it more tactful. Oh, I see. So if you got enough divorce evidence, Mrs. Worth could hold up her husband for plenty of alimony. No. No. Oh, Mrs. Worth is the babe with the doll. Mr. Worth is a very well-educated bum. Indeed. Huh? It's interesting. Uh, Louis, let me have the gun. Yeah, here. Uh, wait, I, I, I just told you the truth. I'm sure you did. Mr. Templer, that's gratitude? It's necessity. Oh. We need him out of the way for a little while. He's out of the way. Now, uh... Yeah? Now we're going to find out who else knew that Fats Boylan was thin. <laughs> You know, if we visited often enough, I might even get accustomed to this joint. Mm, you might also start confusing yourself with Grant. <clears throat> Uh, good evening, Humphrey. I'm sorry the family retired for the night. Well, it is late, I know. I wish to retire myself. Why, Humphrey, you don't look 65. Good night, sir. Aren't you going to ask us in? No. Why, Humphrey, I thought you and I were going to sing Christmas carols together. Let go of me. Shut the door, Louis. Okay. I shall complete. All uh, right, but not now. You... Mr. Templer. I'm going to wear that gun out, hitting people over the head with it. And I couldn't have him warn anyone we're here. Why, we're going to burgle the joint? In a way. Huh? And a kinder description would be search the place, Louie. Oh, for what? Oddly enough, something that can't be seen or touched. Sounds like a ghost. Yes, and in a way it is. The ghost of a murderer. <laughs> night before Christmas, all right, but a creature is stirring. A couple of creatures, us. Yeah, we've covered all the rooms on the other landing. Therefore, the bedroom should be here. And therefore, this should be someone's bedroom. Let's go in. We're sleeping? Now, if I can open the door softly enough and look in. Mm-hmm. Moonlight through the window. Yes. The dressing room. Door beyond would be the bedroom proper. Proper is not a word we're in any position to throw around. Yeah, we'll have to go in to the dressing room. Come on, Louis. Okay. Wait a minute, Louis. Hmm? Inhale. Mr. Templer, I don't usually take breathing exercises in the middle of the night. Louis. All right. I'm inhaling. Well? Perfume. Mm-hmm. Familiar? I could learn to love it, but no. Mm. And out we go. You didn't care for that perfume. You didn't tell me anything. What do you want perfume should tell you? Who killed Fats Boylan? Another bedroom. We go in? Naturally. <laughs> For a bachelor, that ain't the word you should have used. 
I'm beginning to get worried about this. Supposing somebody screams. Pull yourself together, Louis. Okay. After all, like the poet says, strong heart never won fair maiden. You mean faint heart. All right, so for dinner I'll eat dog food. Now. Another dressing room. Well? Hey, Mr. Templer. Yes. The same perfume we noticed. Uh-oh, don't be frightened. Why, Simon, what are you doing in here? Louis and I have been testing perfumes. It's the middle of the night. You're waking me. I'm sorry. I'm even sorrier about something else. What's that? The perfume you use is very distinctive, Sally. I supposed to say thanks? No. Because the last place Louis and I noticed it was in Fats Boylan's room. Minutes after he'd been killed. Oh. Not good, Sally. You're, you're making all this up. Or... No, no. This bottle of perfume will be evidence. But I didn't kill Boylan. You must be joking about that. I don't think a jury would find it funny. You knew about Boylan stealing the jewels. You must have helped him. I, I didn't. But then you found yourself being trailed by Hudson, who'd been hired by Mrs. Worth. You were afraid he'd discover the connection between you and Boylan. That's why you came to my apartment. No. Oh, yes. You hoped I'd throw Hudson off, perhaps frighten him. In the meanwhile, you could get to Boylan, get the jewels from him. That isn't true. But when you got to Boylan's place, you found him already dead. And the jewels gone. I didn't. It would be much better for you that way. What do you mean? You wouldn't be liable to a first-degree murder charge. But there were detectives here while the party was going on. Boylan couldn't have stolen the jewels. They saw him leave. He didn't have them. He did have them. He was playing Santa Claus, and he was a thin man. Santa Clauses, as Louis pointed out to me earlier tonight, are fat. Therefore, Boylan entered this house wearing padding underneath his costume. He left it with a large jewel box in place of the padding. That's how he did it, Sally. You're smart. Hmm, you found Boylan. You knew his address. Therefore, you'd hired him in the first place. And therefore, also, a jury would believe you'd killed him unless... You tell us who did. Oh, all right. I'll tell There's you... There's really no need, my dear. Oh, Claude. Hey, Mr. Templer, tell him to point the gun someplace Mr. else. Mr. Worth, point that gun someplace else. I prefer this direction. You were saying, Mr. Templer, about the jewels. The jewels were insured. Therefore, you, Mr. Worth, arranged to have them stolen. Indeed. Indeed. In that way, you could retain the jewels, the insurance money as well, and not worry very much whether or not your wife divorced you. Clever. Boylan is dead. How true. You had to see to that, didn't you? Otherwise, he might have blackmailed you for the rest of your life or for whatever money you got out of the entire crooked deal. I can see two other deaths. Yours, your friend. And Sally? You going to kill her, too? That depends, I should think, on Sally. Claude, I never knew you intended to, to kill anyone. There's no need to play the engine quite so strenuously, my dear. You were in on most of it. But not murder. Hmm. I'm afraid Mr. Templer's pessimism is justified. I shall have to include you. But however did you get on to her, Templar? Her perfume. To be precise, this perfume. Well, you got him in the eye. Yeah, I hope this gets him someplace more effective. <laughs> Mr. Templar, the trail of unconscious bodies you're leaving behind you tonight, if laid end to end, yes, would look terrible. <laughs> was the night before Sheena's and all through the jungle room. All the DJs were stirring, making their cocktails go kaboom. 
The LP bags were hung by the chimney with care in the hopes that Mr. Fab soon would be there. The crew were all lit, decked out in their best threads, with a band keeping beat on those boss new drumheads. Shangri-La's got a kooky sweater and Barno's sporting a hat, while Jan Turkenberg has the dance moves down pat. When out on the turntables, Chris O. spun a platter. We all sprung to our feet and danced like mad hatters. Then in through the door with a significant flash, flew in Don Bowles with a huge LP stash. Rich in Washington added another hour to his show with a holiday double feature programmed by Don O. When, what to our Hepcat eyeballs should appear? But an overdressed Mr. Fab, with all the other DJs, never fear. On the dance floor he was so lively and quick, as we all grooved and frugged to surf songs so slick. It seemed like the tunes all had obscure fame, yet every single one of us knew them all by name. Everybody brought food, there were plenty of fixins, and when it came to drinks we were all nearly six in, to the top of the porch, and all through the halls, our DJs were always heard by one and all. Alex Kish and Julie, with Mike Rogers himself. I see Space Brother flipping through records on that shelf. Jamie Jazz and Catherine Sage, both shaking their heads at the terrible pun that I, for some reason, just said. Hysterica just got here, but they seem to fit right in. And we're laughing at the choices by DJ Kratoven. Georgie Girl is the peak of fashion and style. And Derek showed up with another record pile. John Nelson and Mark Time are both learning to twerk, while Miss May and Flannery chat in the kitchen and lurk. Sarcophagi and Daryl both like to pose, while Speedo and John P. trade DJ tips like old pros. DJ Babs and M.H. Lee both began to whistle, and you know we all got the It's All Night epistle. We heard Mr. Fab exclaim, quite loud and quite bright, this year we dance to Sheena's all day and all night. From everyone here in the Mid Valley, those stationed in the Lava Lamp Lounge itself, the production crew here at Dime Store Radio Theatre and Mid Valley Mutations, and all the volunteers at Sheena's Jungle Room, we wish you a sappy holidays and plenty of new music throughout the coming year. Now, time to get my freak on. Latest skaters. Simon. Yes, Carla? You've been very sweet. Even without your whiskers, you've been sort of a, a Santa Claus to me. <laughs> May I? Oh, with pleasure. Well, <laughs> I never knew Santa Claus could kiss like that. The Santa Claus is no saint. Yes? Oh. <laughs> um, uh, hello, Louis. Mr. Templer, you better put on your whiskers. You've forgotten all about Mrs. Winterbottom? Mrs. Winterbottom? Oh, well, the hour is past midnight. 
The tots have undoubtedly totted off to bed by now. Louis, you may tell Mrs. Winterbottom... I know. <laughs> that the saint ain't no Santa Claus. <laughs> You have been listening to another transcribed adventure of The Saint, the Robin Hood of modern crime. Now, here is our star, Vincent Price. Ladies and gentlemen, all of us who live in the United States are aware of the spiritual values of American life. And may I wish you all a wonderful Christmas. And for the world, peace in all the years to come. This is Vincent Price inviting you to join us again next week at this same time for another exciting adventure of the saint. Good night. This adventure of the saint was written by Louis Vittes. Our cast included Mary Ship as Sally and Betty Lou Gerson as Carla. High Everback was Hudson, Ted Osborne, Claude. The Butler, Stanley Farrar. Louis is played by Larry Dotkin. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris, is a James L. Safier production and is directed by Helen Mack. Vincent Price is soon to be seen co-starring in RKO's production of His Kind of Woman. All you Saint fans will be glad to know that the Saint comic books are on sale at all newsstands. Your announcer, Don Stanley. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. We hope to see you again next week. Until then, be seeing you.